0: Just wanted to give you guys two updates uh, here on the podcast. One is that our co-host, Caitlin Deal, is no longer with us. She found a new position at Rutgers University, working with the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy. Uh, We're sad to see her go, but we're excited with what God is going to do with her in that space. So, in the meantime, uh, we are opening ourselves up to guest co hosts for the next couple of weeks. If you're interested in coming on as a guest co host here on the Uncovered Dish podcast, just email me at jlee, jlee, at gnjumc.org. The second update, we just wanted to give another push for Ignite Youth Leaders Day happening February 10th at Monmouth Grace United Methodist Church in Eatontown, New Jersey. This is a fantastic event for anyone interested in youth ministry. It's not only for adults, but also for students as well. We have keynote speaker Justin Forbes, founder of Kindred Youth Ministry. We have Aaron Rafferty, Kermit Moss, Wes Ellis, and Eric Matson. Eric Drew and Charles Perez, among many others, who are giving fantastic workshops. So please go to IgniteNJ.org and register today. Register today. And without further ado, this is our podcast with Olu Brown. Welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And I'm your host, James Lee. And today we have a guest co-host with us, Pastor Lakeisha Groover. Lakeisha, you want to quickly introduce yourself?
1: Hey, everyone.
0: I'm Lakeisha Groover, and I serve as the senior pastor of Covenant United Methodist Church in Plainfield, New Jersey. I'm so happy you're here, Lakeisha. Thanks for coming. Glad to be here. And uh, today we're talking about planting new churches versus multi-sites what are the differences what are the pros and cons and we have a really amazing guest here on today's podcast pastor olu brown of impact church in atlanta georgia hey pastor olu
1: how are you doing good to be here with you james and lakeisha
0: (laughs) thanks for thanks for being on the podcast i really appreciate it impact church is just an amazing church uh we hear about it all the time in 2007 you planted this church and then in 2014 you went multi-site. So something really interesting about Impact Church is you've experienced both worlds. You've planted a church, brand new, and then you've also gone multi-site. So real quick, can you take us back to 2007? And tell us the story of how you you planted Impact Church? And then tell us the story of 2014 of how you decided to go multi-site.
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, Really, it was June of 2006. Our bishop made the appointment to a new church plant. And I remember we didn't have a name. So we were an annual conference and it said Olu Brown, new church start. And we had a phenomenal (laughs) team of about 25 people. I was blessed to work at a large church previous to planning Impact Church for about five and a half years. And I always say our church would not be what it is unless we had that experience at that large church. And we started our first worship experience January of 2007 in a middle school auditorium on a cold, rainy day. And we had about 300 people to show up. Oh, wow. uh, Some things were working well. Some things weren't working well. We couldn't afford all the audio equipment. So we were renting speakers every weekend. (laughs) We had a U-Haul truck that picked up the items and we set them all up. And because it was a middle school, we had to take all those out after worship started. And so we were really a nomadic group of people and we didn't know any better. We were having fun, we were fussing and fighting and having fun and fussing and fighting and having fun. (laughs) (laughs) And so through that experience of growing and developing together as teams, we were finally able to level things out from a systems perspective and a people's perspective. And that brought us to where we are uh, from the subject of multi-site in 2014. We had already been thinking about multi-site and there was an opportunity from an existing United Methodist Church, sadly, that closed. And our district superintendent offered us that opportunity. And so that led to our multi-site campus format. So currently we say we have three sites. We have one at Impact on Sylvan, one physical site at Impact on Maine. And then our online community, which we consider a third campus, with hopes of having more sites online and physical sites throughout the country uh, in the next few years.
0: I think it's so cool. Just to spout out some data here. So you said you planted a church with a core team of 25 people. The first Sunday, there were 300 people, you said?
1: Yeah, yeah, that first Sunday.
0: Yeah, and if I'm correct with the data here, in a year you were a thousand worshippers every Sunday by two thousand eight. And uh now on an average weekly attendance you have about twenty seven hundred people attending at your physical locations and another two thousand online.
1: Yes, and because I'm a church planner, those numbers are too low. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. But, you know, to and, and we know this statistic uh, beyond the Methodist Church, the average worship attendance in the United States of America is about 75 people. Right. And so you can imagine over the last 11 years, our team is saying, can we just enjoy uh, the past 11 years? And so where I am right now, my own leadership journey is not focusing on next or the number so much, mm. but focusing on now and celebrating what God has done and all the stories and the uh, testimonies that we've heard over the last 11 years.
0: I have this lingering question. Having 300 on your first Sunday is a great way to start, but those 300 didn't just show show up out of the blue, right? I mean, like you said, the average attendance in the United Methodist Churches throughout the country is 75, right? So I'm just curious if that would be possible here in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, say we have a core team of 25 people and we're gonna start on the first Sunday and we'll have 300 people, it's like.
1: Well, sometimes new church planning Planters focus so much on the spiritual that they underestimate the business side of it. And sometimes it's just smoke and mirrors. So another trick of the trade we did, we were in partnership with several churches and said, "Okay, look, on the first and second Sunday of January, would you ask your men's team to come and worship with us? Mm. Would you ask your youth group to come worship with us? So if I'm coming to visit, I have no idea that those youth aren't a part of your church. I just know they're there. Wow. You know, I have no idea uh, that that usher or choir or praise team or whatever other churches just take for granted, you know, ask those people to come. And so if I'm coming to your new church plant, I have no idea that you borrow these worshipers. I'm just glad <laughs> that they're there and, and keep rolling on. So there's a business side to it that, that you got to think about as well.
0: Oh, do you have any more of these uh, little secret tips? We could use
1: them. (laughs) Another thing we did was ask for angel donors. And so I uh, met with several of our churches that were in our annual conference. And these are typically larger churches that may have a missions budget or money that they didn't even know they had, and they're not going to spend it. And what I found with people is you have to be very specific. In the fundraising community, they say people give to people. So I had an initial meeting with them. Some of them already knew me. If they didn't know me, they got a chance to know me. And then several weeks later, I followed up with a specific ask. Our sound equipment, the cost of that new board costs $10,000, half of the costs, for video cameras are $3,000. We need a projector, or it may be a staff position. And so I literally put those positions in a document And then I put the amount needed by it. And we were surprised. Some of those churches responded and they gave directly to that need. So as a church planner, even if you get support from the annual conference or whatever, the body that's sponsoring you, you still have to fundraise and you've got to fundraise from day one. And so that's a big part of the journey. Amazing. Wow.
0: What was the preparation work that led up to having 300 people on starting Sunday?
1: Well, For me as a church planner, the preparation was a lifetime. You know, I live into Jeremiah that says, before you were born, I knew you. And when I look at the process of growing up and the diversity of experiences that my parents exposed me to in the church world and beyond the church world were significant enough to help prepare, not totally prepare me, but prepare me uh, to be a church planner. And so I'm so grateful for my community, so grateful for my family and all the mentors along the way. Uh, From a strategic standpoint of a team of 25 people having 300 people to show up on a Sunday, the preparation was about a six-month journey to where we had a coach who uh, coached us along the way. We had preview events that were in the community. We also had a lot of one-on-one contact from knocking on doors to all of the uh, media technology that you can do to just some fun things around how do you get people to come out on a Sunday in January. I was also blessed to work at the large church previously for five and a half years. And there was a midweek worship experience. I was a youth pastor for most of that time, but also had the responsibility of preaching every Wednesday night. And because we were in metropolitan Atlanta, uh, people would come to Wednesday night who weren't members of that church on Sunday morning or attended on Sunday. And after doing that for five years, I realized, wow, we were kind of building the new church over a five year period. So some of those 300 people who showed up were a part of that Wednesday night experience. Mm. So every new church is different and how you do it is different. But having a certain number of people in those first few Sundays is going to be key and, and very important for survival.
0: There are new churches that are wanting to be planted today. And I feel like you have such wisdom that can uh, just equip a new leaders who are feeling called to start new churches.
1: Um, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of the wisdom, if I have any, is from heart lessons that I still learn every single day uh, after church this past Sunday. Two of our leaders mentioned to me, Olu, there's this word that you say all the time and you mispronounce it. And so that's after speaking the more than You know, two or three thousand people, and a leader comes and says, "You really don't say this word correctly." But (laughs) of the journey, and whether you're a new church plan or existing church pastor, you should always be able to learn something new. Whenever um, you get to a point where you're no longer learning, is never a good thing. Um, I guess wisdom for someone who senses a call to plant a church. And this isn't going to be encouraging, but I'll say it. If there's anything you can do and be happy other than plan a church, do it. <laughs> if if you just can't be happy until you plan a church and you feel that God is just burning that in your soul, yes. then go ahead and do it and, and pray every step of the way. But I tell people all the time, if, if there's anything else you can do and live your call and be happy other than plan a church, because... Church planning is a unique part of a call that can really take so much from you uh, and those who love you best, and at the end of the day, even ask for more. But at the same time, it can be one of the most rewarding experiences. There's a local church that my daughter uh, used to attend school, and I love going into their fellowship hall, and there are all these outdated pictures of early church leaders, and I realize... (laughs) That core team of 25, we're those people who, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to be laughing at our clothing style or they're going to be like, oh, my God, they've got iPhones. What were they thinking? You know, (laughs) because we are those pioneers. We are those early adapters. So out of all that we've experienced, good, bad or indifferent, to be able 50 years from now, when we're gone for somebody to look at our picture and talk about our clothing style but to look at it and say i'm so grateful that you and this team had the faith and the courage to step out and trust god
0: mm. yeah amen that's good so stuff. i
1: wouldn't take anything for that experience yeah right.
0: <clears throat> you just uh shut down uh, all these young church planters and then inspired them again so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what is the message here do it or don't right <laughs>
1: Yeah. And and the other message of that is there are different types of church planners. Uh, Some we call Pauline church planners. Right. And they may be at a location for two or three years and then move on. Right. Uh, There are some people who are church planners and they're there just for a season and then go to an existing church or another type of vocation um, in ministry. And then there are some church planners. They're there until they retire. So. You don't necessarily know that when you start, but it is important to get wisdom and mentors who can help you discern that once you start. That will help your trajectory um, go a lot better.
0: So, Pastor Ola, you talked about some of the challenges you faced when planting Impact Church. What about going multi-site? What did your experience teach you doing that?
1: Yeah, and it still teaches you every single day, literally (laughs) uh, going multi-site is like for a family or individual that has one child waking up one day and there are two children. <laughs> and so now it's not, you know, how do I prepare fruit loops for one kid? How do I prepare them for both kids? Right. Uh, and then you discover one kid is, uh, sensitive to milk and can't drink milk. And so, oh my God, what do we do about this? The kid still has to eat or, you know, you're <laughs> I'm a coach. still
0: waking up from that. So yes yeah. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Uh, The other thing that we have to be aware of is what type of model are we starting? So you look at a restaurant, for instance, and it's important for some restaurants that wherever you happen to be in the world to have the same experience. And for other restaurants, it's not important that you have the same experience, but you, you have food that is contextual to the geography where you are. So for us, our site or second site isn't necessarily the same as our first site. So it's more important that that site is contextual to the community that they're trying to reach. And this is important because as United Methodists, as a lead pastor, I know I won't be here forever. And so it's important that people and all of our sites aren't drawn to Olu or aren't drawn to the first location, but they're drawn to that contextual location that exists in their community or where they choose to worship. So when my face changes as a lead pastor, they'll still be committed to that multi-site and not committed to me and shift away whenever um, I'm no longer the leader.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned kind of shifting the focus away from the lead pastor and to the church. A recent trend in many of the mega multi-site churches is to and the multi-site model and to give autonomy to the existing sites. So this is happening with Redeemer Presbyterian Church with uh, Tim Killer did that before retiring and Matt Chandler of the Village Church announced this too that you know in a couple of years all the sites will then become autonomous churches uh, with with separate identities. Do you think this might be a possible future for Impact Church as well?
1: Very much so, but I also think there's an opportunity to still have an undercurrent connection. So, for instance, if a church has five locations, each of them are contextually different. Each has their own campus pastor, their own uh, communicators. uh, That's great. And so they can function and live on that way. But they discover, hey, uh, we all need the Internet. You know, we all need video technology. Uh, We all need an app built. And so the opportunity is to do an undercurrent connection to say there are certain systems that we all need. How can we continue in partnership with those systems while above the water or above land? You're still your own autonomous body. And so it essentially becomes the Methodist church model again to where we share certain systems. But you go to one Methodist church and it looks one way and you go to another and it looks a different way, but we're still connected. So. It's kind of like Ecclesiastes, uh, there's nothing new under the sun.
0: Good stuff. Good tips. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so where do you see the future of church planting and multi-site going?
1: Yeah, I think the next 20 years of church in general, now there will always be exceptions, but I think they, the, the, the trend now and growing will be boutique style churches so, for instance, I love big box stores where I can go and buy oil and milk and, you know, gardening equipment. But I don't think that's going to be the image of the church going forward. Those kind of campuses and ministries and programs are, are just too expensive to sustain with transient societies. And I think they're going to be smaller boutique churches where they focus in on a particular ministry area for that community or what God has led them to. And they're not going to reach everybody, but they're going to reach some people. And those people are going to be laser focused on the mission. And they'll be able to do more than a thousand people who come to any local church. And I think that's going to be the future. I think in multi-site, what you're seeing happening is going to happen more because for churches that have, say, 10 or 12 campuses, and they have a video of one speaker that is played in the psyche to those individuals every week. And God forbid something happens to that leader, chances are that that church may not be able to survive in its current context or way. So we have to raise up communicators. We have to expose communicators. Mm. And we also have to develop in people that it doesn't have to be the same person who's leading, um, but we are all gifted and there are talents. And how do we lean into the gifts and talents of a broader community? So I, I think those are going to be some of the uh, changes of what we see. And one final is online worship communities, I think are going to be primary for a lot of people more than a brick and mortar location.
0: I keep thinking about Andrew Zersky and his um, comment in his book, Beyond the Screen, how people are more real when they're in front of their screen Mm -hmm. than they're in public spaces. Uh, This is is, true. So what does that mean to have a church that is online, where people may be more real than others. Um, I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine, Corbin Payne, he's part of a online church plant, like his church uh, created a online campus. And during the conversations he has online with people, they share difficult stories and they pray together and experience healing, right? And he's saying, I probably wouldn't have had this conversation if they showed up Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. Um, And you can still deploy people in missions in the mission field uh, from an online community. You know, we um, have a lot of small groups and some of those meet online. And I was talking to a gentleman earlier today who is on a job assignment in Texas and his wife lives in South Carolina because her job is there. But for our small group, they're both on the same online group. She's in one state. He's in another state and they're able to be connected from a distance and still study and grow together spiritually. Hmm. So those are things we just can't deny anymore and continue to try to force people into this format or place we call um, a physical church.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Thank you. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about your book. You have recently released a book titled Leadership Directions from Moses on the Way to a Promised Land. Um, Tell us about the story behind how you came to write this book.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Like both of you, I'm always looking for leadership models and examples. And of course, a lot of those are found in the biblical texts. And for me, Moses is one of those leaders, not because he did everything right, but it's because he did a lot of things the wrong way. And so uh, in Numbers chapter 32, I suspect when Moses was about to go golf and have an off day, uh, these two tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadites, approach him and say, Moses, we like where we are. And they were physically and geographically in a place we call the Transjordan. And they say, Hey, look, this is great land for us. I know God wants us to go to Canaan, but can we stay here? And so Moses uh, is a little bit of a politician, a little bit of a business person, and he strikes a deal. And he says, Okay, you can return here, but you have to go help us fight uh, for Canaan. So we're always under the assumption that all 12 tribes lived into the promise, and, and that wasn't so. And so as leaders, we have these opportunities where we have a promise and we know that promise, but sometimes people who are with us hear their own promise. And so, how, as leaders, can we be big enough to bless them and tell them to part in peace and not demonize them for having their own story or their own journey? And also, how do we stay focused on the majority of people who still want to go into the promised land? So, Moses could have had a catastrophic leadership moment and only focused on these two people on the committee, on the team who said no. But there are 10 others who said yes. Um, And so to do that, Moses has to have over his leadership journey, three difficult conversations. One conversation with himself, always checking to see who he is as a leader. Two conversations with other people, always engaging beyond ourselves. And then finally, he had to have Serious conversations with God uh, from time to time to say, God, you know, why in the world did you and the bishop put me in this appointment? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what were y'all thinking? You know, uh, you know and, and it's from those mature conversations as leaders that we develop what they call the emotional IQ to be able to lead into the promises that God has given us. So essentially, uh, it's a book for lay people, for clergy people to, uh, don't work in the church arena, uh, because it's just real life stuff. It's real life disappointment. Tell some of the stories from my life. And, um, I, I hope it's a book that will help a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I actually just ordered mine, so it should be on its way. Awesome. And, uh, so I'll definitely take a read and uh, ask you some questions if I have them. Pastor Olu, do you have any, uh, anything else that are, that you want to share?
1: So of course, uh, check out our church, uh, Our website is impactdcd.org, which stands for Impact Doing Church Differently. Uh, You can find me uh, on my site at olubrown.org. I'm sorry, olubrown.com. And that is O-L-U-B-R-O-W-N.com. And you can also pick up a copy of the book there, Amazon or abington.org. But so grateful to be able to talk about leadership principles and church planning and multi site Those are things that give me a lot of uh, hope for where the church is going in the future.
0: That's awesome. Thank you again, uh, Pastor Olu, for being on the podcast. Uh, Before you go, we have one question we ask all of our guests. We are the Uncovered Dish podcast. As Methodists, we love to eat. So if you could have one dish for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no variations, what would that one dish be?
1: It would be pancakes and eggs uh, for the rest of my life. I love pancakes.
0: Pancakes <laughs> and eggs. That's so good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so good. With warm maple syrup. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lukisha, what would be your what, your one dish?
1: Oh, um, hmm. Probably macaroni and cheese.
0: Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Good stuff. Good stuff. What that's, about
1: yours, Dave? <laughs>
0: Mine is, uh, it's a Korean dish. It's kimchi stew with pork belly in it. Okay. Uh, just a lot of pork, just a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, just put in some rice and mix it up and I could eat that. I ate that breakfast, lunch, and dinner when I was in college. I just made it all the time. And, uh, yeah, that I could, I could (laughs) eat it for years and it'll be fine. (laughs) Right. Good stuff. Yeah, Perfect. awesome. Thank you, Pastor Olu, for coming on the podcast again. Again, uh, this was uh, we spoke with Pastor Olu Brown, lead pastor of Impact Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find out more about his church and the awesome stuff they're doing at ImpactDoingChurchDifferently.org. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram at Pastor Olu Brown and be sure to p- pick up his book. Leadership Directions from Moses on the Way to a Promised Land. You could pick it up on his website at olubrown.org. Thanks again for being on the podcast. We hope to talk to you again. Thank you. Take care. Awesome. All right. This podcast was produced by the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey at the media production studio of the Mission and Resource Center in Neptune, New Jersey. Your hosts today were James Lee and Lakeisha Groover. And a special thank you to Olu Brown for making time to come on our podcast. And another special thank you to our podcast ministerial intern, Paul Barnett. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. Till next time, take care.